as we move from the seven letters to the seven churches uh, that we looked at last week into what is now the visions section of Revelation that fills the rest of the book, uh, the first thing that John sees in heaven is basically what he saw in the first chapter uh, that we looked at last week. It's just separated out now and teased out a bit more uh, because in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, we're right back in that blurring of lenses kind of territory we were thinking through last week in terms of how John sees God in chapter 4 and how he sees Jesus in chapter 5. And unmistakably... uh, John sees things here of God and Jesus that are very much the same. Uh, The first voice that he heard in chapter 4 verse 1, that had been the voice of Jesus in chapter 1 and verse 9, if you recall, the son of man who died but now uh, was alive forevermore. Uh, In chapter 4 now, uh, Jesus speaks to John and he calls him up to heaven there in verse 1. Uh, After this I looked, says John, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And if John knows anything of his Hebrew Bible, and if we know anything of uh, those Old Testament scriptures in our Bible, uh, then without question or any shadow of doubt, John sees God when he gets up there into heaven. Uh, The one who sits on the throne of heaven, ruling over everything, That is God. It must be God, although we actually have to piece that together a little bit from what's written here. At first, uh, at once, uh, he says, uh, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. It is the throne of God we can be sure from everything described there. Uh, And so too, therefore, uh, the heavenly beings around the throne are also there to convey to us the the majesty of of him who is on the throne in the centre of all this, as verse 6 goes on. Uh, Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Mysterious living creatures, they are, no doubt, and seemingly a representation of this kind of vision that Ezekiel, the old prophet in scripture, had once seen. But mystery aside for a minute about these beings, they actually serve more than anything else to point us to the throne so that we don't miss the gravity of what John is seeing here in heaven or who John is seeing And so they even then tell us, these four living creatures, explicitly they confirm for us now, uh, just to leave no shadow of doubt in our minds what John is saying. Day and night they never cease to say, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And suddenly with their words, we're back in chapter 1 and verse 8 where we were last week. The one who John now sees in chapter 4 here is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. God is who John has been invited into heaven to see as this new vision now opens out. And God is, of course, worthy of all praise. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 is easy. Uh, But here comes the blur. Because uh, in chapter 5 then, this throne room scene expands to bring Jesus into the picture and to bring Jesus right into the centre of this glorious picture of praise. Uh, The Lion of the tribe of Judah, he's called in chapter 5, verse 5, and introduced to us as alone being worthy to take what was written out of God's hand. Uh, John was told of that lion, uh, verse 5, But behold, he looked and saw a lamb. Isn't that interesting? He looked and saw a lamb. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The Lamb has the seven spirits of God uh, that we thought about in chapter 1. The Holy Spirit of God, as it does seem. Uh, And they are as eyes on the face of this Lamb who looks like he was slain. And he also has, this Lamb, whatever was in God's own right hand. Uh, Is this getting blurry yet? Uh, What about this then that comes next? The praise that was just given to God in chapter 4 is now given to Jesus in chapter 5. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And the whole host of heaven joins in, angels now, in myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. Do you see the blur? 
The power and the honour and the glory are to God. Of course they're to God, chapter 4, because he is worthy to receive those things. But the power and the honour and the glory are to the Lamb, chapter 5, because he is worthy to receive those things. And then the blurring of God and Lamb together is made complete as the whole cosmos sings. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Revelation chapter 5 is easy. Uh, And if you weren't clear about Jesus in terms of who he is in chapters three, uh, one to three last week, then then chapters four and five should now take care of that. Uh, So let's move on then, I think, and think about what that then means in the rest of this vision and what that means in terms of who we are uh, and how confident we can be in this lion, this lamb. Uh, And just as we also saw last week, uh, two things I think that this vision now seems to want to uh, reveal to us uh, straight off the bat is is one that that Jesus will reveal to John and and therefore through John to us uh, what is to come. I mean, that's what it is to to break these seals on this scroll, isn't it? It's to reveal. Uh, Those old wax seals, if you know, that they used to use to seal up uh, letters and so on, were only until someone broke those seals at which point they could then open the document and see what it did say. So with this great scroll that God had had in his hand, Jesus takes it and Jesus breaks every single seal, just as he wrote every single letter in the section we were looking at last week. These mysteries of God are Jesus's to reveal. He went and took the scroll out of God's hand, chapter 5 and verse 7, Uh, And he was worthy to break its seals, chapter 5 and verse 9. And now in chapter 6, verse 1, he begins the process of doing just that. The things of God are Jesus's to reveal. And the second thing straight off the bat that this vision uh, reveals to John and to the church, therefore, too, is, is how all of these things are therefore, they're now in Jesus's hand. Uh, such that of the various things in this vision, it's Jesus who will release them, so to speak. Uh, And so just as we saw his sovereignty last week over all things, so too we get it again here. Uh, Jesus reveals and Jesus is sovereign over everything in this scroll and over every one of these seals. Uh, But what do they mean, these seals? Uh, Well, the things that happen with each seal when it's broken... Uh, in the scheme of things, well, they're interesting, but they're simple enough, at least as far as revelation goes. These things are simple enough if we just read them each on its own terms. But what if the the seven things here in Revelation 6 and 7 uh, are actually just a way of of capturing the completeness, the the perfection of, of one thing? That's what seven symbolises in Scripture, as we thought through last week. Completeness. Uh, 
Might that not therefore be the case here? That these seven seals are conveying the perfect nature, the the totality of, of one thing. What if it's the scroll that we're meant to be thinking about rather than its seals, is what I'm trying to say. Or what do the seals all add up to, I guess we could say, if you want to put it that way. What would it look like if there was one perfect thing written on that scroll that we were supposed to be locking in as this vision unfolds? Well, I think what it would basically amount to is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Uh, you may know that concept from some of our earlier uh, sermons and, uh, and even a series that we did on that concept. Or, of course, from your other reading through different parts of Scripture, there is a day of judgment coming from God when, when all sin will be called to account uh, and all those who have rejected God in their, in their impenitent hardness of sin, they have refused to repent and come to God, that they will be punished by God on that day of judgment. The day of the Lord is a concept that runs right through our scriptures and I suggest that maybe that's what John is looking at here in Revelation 6 at the end. Uh, And I suggest that for two reasons. Um, One is that Jesus has already flagged that much in the opening part that we looked through last week, if you turn back one page. Uh, Chapter 1 and verse 7 It says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That there is judgment language about the day of the Lord. We saw it too last week when we skipped just for a minute to the end of Revelation to see how this book closes out. And in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, this is what we read. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Revelation closes out Uh, just the way that it starts. The day of the Lord is coming. Uh, Reason number two that I think these seals here are just a way of of conveying the completeness, the totality, the the inescapability of that day of judgment is is that I'm coming to see, the more I read through Revelation, the more I'm coming to see that if you could take a pin and stick it in just about any verse in this book of Revelation, what it would bleed is Old Testament. Old Testament would bleed out. And if you were to stick that pin, so to speak, in Revelation 6 right here, it would positively spring a leak. And what would come squirting out here would be Old Testament prophets more than anything else. Uh, And especially once you step back a little bit and and just try to see all this together. This This is just routine language of how the prophets always warned of God's judgment. The language here is so similar to scriptures like Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah 14 and Ezekiel 38 and and Hosea 10 and Habakkuk 3 and so on and so on we could go in just about any of the prophets, really, in fact. This is just a way of God's judgment being proclaimed 
this kind of language. Even the imagery here of these four horsemen that John says, it, it just seems like a new version of that that the prophet Zechariah had once seen. But even more specifically than that, if we step back and size up the whole thing here, what John sees when these first six seals are broken in Revelation 6, it's almost as if we were reading one of the Old Testament prophets' descriptions of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord that must come. So, so could that not simply be the meaning that we're supposed to catch here in this vision in chapter 6? If we put them all together, uh, all those things, what do these first six seals reveal as we step through? Uh, well, there's war and there's hostility uh, tangled up with that war and there's famine uh, in uh, seal three. And then there's a mashup, I think, of, of war and famine and pests and, and wild beasts with horseman number four. And then there's the persecution of the saints and how that number uh, who've been persecuted must be fulfilled. Uh, and, and then there's cosmic trauma. The moon and the sky and the mountains are drawn into this picture with seal number six being opened up. Keep your eye on that there and just think through that uh, composite picture uh, and let me read about the day of the Lord from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Just by way of comparison, and uh, I'm just going to pick out a few verses from Joel here and there to try to catch this point for us as we sit through here and look at Revelation 6. If you see if you hear anything of Revelation 6 there as I read from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Uh, Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the clods, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down because the grain has dried up. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Like blackness there is spread across the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them throughout the years of all generations. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish, all faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge, like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way, they do not swerve from their paths. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Different things in Joel there to what we're seeing here in Revelation 6, although with quite some healthy degree of overlap in those things. Famine and war and conquest and cosmic trauma. Joel also weaves various dimensions together to, to convey this totality of the day of the Lord, the sheer inescapability of that day and the dread, therefore, of thinking about it coming.
And there are other ways to think about these six seals here in Revelation chapter 6. And you can zoom right in on each one uh, with a microscope later, uh, if you like. But if you stand back and, and try to take all of it in, I'd suggest that there is, there is one quite simple message in all of this that's supposed to hit us in six different ways. That just as Jesus warned through the prophets of old, like Joel, as I just read, and just as he himself flagged at the start and the end of this book, Revelation here, that the day of the Lord's judgment is coming. And it must come. And yes, it will be awful, as should be fairly easy to see from a simple overview like that of chapter 6 right here. Truly, it will be awful. The difference here with, with this revelation, how this picture of the day of the Lord brings, brings a layer of closure, I suppose, on all those other pictures of that day that went before, that the difference here is the lion and the lamb. What we have here, chapter 1 and verse 1, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ over what the Bible has already otherwise told us about that day of the Lord. Jesus is the one who opens these seals. He is sovereign over this scroll and, and he's the one who reveals it all to us. The lion, chapter 5 and verse 5, has already conquered so that he can open this scroll of judgment, as it seems, and all of its seals. And Jesus, the lamb, is the co-carrier. He is the co-bringer of the wrath of that day. That's what it says there. Have you ever thought about the wrath of the Lamb? The wrath of the Lamb. If we spent more time reading the Old Testament prophets as to the wrath of God on the day of the Lord, then chapter 6 and verse 16 would blow our minds. Because uh, from top to the bottom of society, people will be uh, hiding and crying out to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Joel that I read in Joel chapter 2, the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Revelation 6.17, the day of the wrath of the one on the throne and the Lamb has come, and who can stand? What this scripture is revealing to us in terms of God's coming judgment is Jesus. And yet we haven't come to that seventh seal on this scroll as yet, have we? Uh, look over chapter 7 again. Uh, as we finish up today. Look over chapter 7 uh, and let me first bring these two groups uh, of people there together. In the midst of these seals on this scroll of judgment being opened, a, a different seal breaks into this vision, if you notice that, in chapter 7 and verse 2. A different seal breaks in, a seal of protection from that judgment, a seal of salvation breaks in. And John hears the number of those who were sealed as the servants of God, uh, 12 square thousand uh, counted out there like an army of God ready for war. Uh, and apparently there's about 18 different ways through Scripture that the 12 tribes are listed because of all the chop and change. Uh, and this list right here 
matches no other list of those 12. I mean, you look at it and you think, okay, yeah, that's right. Why no tribe of Dan in this list? Uh, Why Joseph and Manasseh? Uh, Would it not be uh, Ephraim and Manasseh instead of Joseph? Uh, And should Levi really be counted there at this point in time? But but let's not worry about all of that, I, I would say, because it seems to be symbolic, this list, conveying something far, far greater as John sees all this, because... Because John hasn't seen this yet. He's only heard. And just like John heard about the lion in chapter 5 and he looked and saw a lamb, well, now John hears the number of those sealed. It says in verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed. But then he looks, verse 9. But then he looks and he sees a great multitude that can't be counted from every nation on earth. And these people, verse 15, that he sees now, these are the servants of God, it says. They serve him day and night in his temple. And these, therefore, are those who, back in verse 3, were sealed. Would you be so kind as to verify that if you have that page open? Uh, Those who are sealed for God, in verse 3, are his servants. Uh, And his servants, in verse 15, are the multitudes gathered around his throne. Some of you might be waiting, uh, and anxiously perhaps, uh, for things like the mark of the beast that's coming up in this book of Revelation. Well, uh, you won't uh, be able to understand that when we do get to it unless you first understand this. The servants of God have his mark upon them. And Revelation only gives a binary option around that. People will either receive the mark of God and they will serve him, or they will receive the mark of the beast. Nobody will receive two marks. Have no fear, brothers and sisters, of that. It will be the one or the other. And nobody will receive the mark of God, it says here, but by Jesus. The lion, the lamb, the way to become God's servant, verse 14, is explicitly clear. It's by being washed in the blood of the lamb. Uh, Make no mistake as we sit here today about that. If you belong to Jesus, You need never worry about that other mark ahead. You are a servant of God, written into a different scroll right here in chapter 7. You are invisibly but indelibly sealed by God and unto God. Uh, And suddenly, uh, almost forget about the seven seals on that other scroll of judgment. It's this seal in chapter 7 and verse 2 that we must fix our eyes on. The seal of the living God that he marks his servants with for salvation. Uh, To which, my friends, this is all, uh, well, it's all been about us, what John sees here. Those who have been marked by God, by the blood of Jesus. This vision John has seen is about us in chapter 7 now being brought into that throne room that we saw in chapters 4 and 5. Do you see that in that text? After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from from every 
nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Does that sound familiar? Like we're back in chapters 4 and 5? Oh, it should. One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God. In Jesus, we will be taken into that throne room in chapters 4 and 5 to glorify God with all the host of heaven and enjoy him forever. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on his throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So what this vision has been about over these four chapters is us being brought into that throne room of God through Jesus. And so what this vision has been about over these four chapters is the assurance that we should have, brothers and sisters, in Jesus. The lion who has conquered chapter 5 and verse 5 to be able to open these seals and all the things on this scroll. Uh, The lamb, though, who was slain, chapter 5 and verse 9, to ransom us out of that judgment when it comes and seal us right now for God. We will be safe with Jesus when that dreadful day of the Lord does come. He's already marked us safe even now if our trust is in him. Uh, Which, as it happens, was also flagged at the start of this book back in chapter 1 and verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And yet we still haven't got to that seventh seal on that other scroll, that judgment scroll. Chapter 8 and verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Half an hour, I reckon, in in John's spiritual experience here, whether he'd been transported to see this vision, rather than half an hour in sort of salvation historical kind of time frames. Uh, The seventh seal is broken and there is peace in all of heaven. And peace, therefore, for all those who had already beforehand been sealed for salvation by the blood of the Lamb. And I think this vision is over. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for your word to us. We thank you for uh, this that we've read today, a long reading, but certainly this is good for us. And we pray you therefore have your way in our hearts with these things that we've read of today. Thank you for what we can see on this page, that you have ransomed uh, people to yourself to be your servants forever, and you've done that through Jesus' blood. Thank you that Jesus has already conquered in that way. Thank you that by our uh, simple, humble and penitent faith in Jesus, we are now sealed for you, sealed for your courts, uh, marked as your servants, those who will worship you, a world without end. Thank you for these truths. Thank you that we, we won't just be safe on this day of judgment, but that we will be gathered around you, gathered around Jesus in this glorious throne room of heaven. Thank you, God Almighty. In the name of Jesus, we thank you for all these things you've done and revealed. And fix our eyes now on that glory to come, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen.